My name is Kevin Hines. I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I believed that I had to die, but I lived. Today, I travel the world with my lovely wife, Margaret, sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. Now, we help people be here tomorrow. Welcome to the Hindsights Podcast. What's cracking, Hope Nation? It's Kevin Hines, and I want to tune you into something that's really amazing. We've been doing these Ask Kevs for quite some time now, but now we're adding a clinical perspective to the end of every Ask Kev by none other than the great Dr. April Foreman, our clinical specialist. It's going to be fantastic, energetic, entertaining, and she's going to break down in her clinical way, in the way only she knows how. So please enjoy it, watch, listen, learn, and glean everything you can from Dr. Foreman at the end of this very important Ask Kev, made for you. I'd like Dr. Foreman to talk, to talk about that after I briefly make a point. I, I have been psychiatrically hospitalized for suicidality eight times, but it was my third psychiatric hospital stay where I said, from this point on, I will be self-aware enough to walk myself into care and to hospitalize myself. And that's a rare occurrence, I think. And I know that for me, it was my uncle George coming to my aid in the third cycle and stay, as you saw, I think, in the movie, who said, you know, do you want to be in and out of this place for the rest of your life? When are you going to put the effort in to stabilize most of the time that I began to live with this routine and regimen that I still live with today? But every time it became suicidal, I'd walk to a family member using my wife and my father, and I'd say, I need help now. And, and, that, and that's how I ended up in those last five stays. In those last five stays, I survived that suicidal pain by walking into a cycle and saying, I need to be here, I won't be here. And so that's coming from my personal perspective. I try to teach that to individuals all over the world. The problem we have is yes, they'll be hospitalized, 72 hours. That is not so much an individual situation, but a broken system. And unless we find a way to help them in such a manner that is not terrifying, that does not put them in a seclusion room where they're shackled or, I, I mean, I can tell you, I was in, I was in California in a straitjacket in a white wall padded room when it was already illegal. And, and that is unacceptable. You know, when I travel the world, I try to find places that break through those barriers. And, and, I, and I found some of, them in, in some of the best ones in North Carolina, where uh, certain mental health or, uh, psych units treated individuals as human beings across the board rather than patients. I mean, they had lighting specifically designed to be calming for the brain. They had seclusion rooms that were not seclusion rooms. They are a monitor with you know the old school fish you know screensaver and a lazy boy you sit in with a non-toxic marker that you can write on the wall with and you would think you would think oh they're gonna write terrifying horrific things on the wall that are psychotic no the most of the writings on the wall included thank you for not shackling me to a flatboard thank you for not putting me in a straitjacket thank you for being kind to me and the entirety of these psych, psych units is based upon the kind care of the individual who walks in based upon their particular diagnoses, issues, or struggles. But the best part about this unit, and I'm thinking of the Minden Levine Center, the best part about this unit was that when parents, loved ones, or family members come in, 
to deliver the one they love to this care, a peer support specialist who has been hired at the same rate as the clinical care workers in the room, who's been through lived, who lived with lived experience, who understands in a very real way what this individual may be going through, sits down, assesses the family members, and says, here's what we're going to do, here's our treatment plan, and here's, what's, here's, how, here's our breakdown. When the individual comes through in the ambulance, the first thing they're greeted by is murals of beautiful flowers on the ambulance wall. Now this is not possible right now because we don't have any funding to make this scalable, but we must find it so that when I go in next time, if I do, I'm met with the kindness and the care that someone who has a broken arm is met with. Someone who has liver disease, kidney disease, lung disease, heart disease is met with. Instead of me being not just marginalized, but purely discriminated in the place that's supposed to serve me. So thank you for your question. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, Dr. Foreman, do you have any thoughts on that? So I'm here to be this me, right? But I just couldn't agree more. We should be designing systems of care for the people we take care of, not for the convenience of doctors. And it's not okay. It's just not okay. It's why I do what I do. A couple things we know. Number one, one of the major acute risk factors for suicide death is a recent inpatient hospitalization. There's no evidence that hospitalizing people reduces suicide deaths, and there is some evidence that it makes it worse. Number two, we undertrain clinicians how to not hospitalize. We just do, and that's wrong. We should train people better. Number three, when we do hospitalizations, I happen to know that Kevin will go get help when he needs it, and I also know that you've had a, a real range of hospital experiences. So if we are going to hospitalize people, we're going to do it sometimes against their will and take, take away their civil liberties. We should do that with all the attention to their care and well-being that we can, as opposed to attention to liability management and convenience of other people. And finally, you know, Skip Simpson, who's on our board, uh, always talks about abolishing something called Q15. So here's the deal. Number one way that people die inpatient is by suicide. It's like, like for mental health, like it's just, that's the thing that happens. And we know that nobody dies if they're constantly given uh, monitoring and attention. We know that it's like a way that we can absolutely prevent inpatient suicide deaths. But often, because we are not good at this, the design and the staffing of hospitals, we do 15 minute checks and, and that's how people die by suicide. I would, you know, we would want to ensure that the hospital systems that we are working with use the best practice and not the practice where, where people pass away. So if we could be using our data to advocate, and if we could be advocating for good care, that would be fabulous. One of the things that I love about the Men in the Bean Center is that they also designed their hospitals to be without suicide. From the way the windows are designed, to the beds, to the paper they hand out, across the board. And, you know, we have those few places that exist. Let's move them. Let's at least work tirelessly to try. Margaret and I love sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. For more content and inspiration, go to KevinHindsStory.com or visit us on all social medias at KevinHindsStory or on YouTube.com slash KevinHinds. <laughs>